Um, first of all, Coach Tang should be National Coach of the Year, period. I mean, they had two players. They filled the whole roster. They're picked at the bottom. He'll get my vote, and that's not because he's my brother. It's he's earned it. Coach Drew, did you, uh, um, did you and your staff consider any, look at any counters to Noel and him getting in penetration? I think we use four defenses. I got one defense that will work. Him graduating. Aggieville, Aggieville, I'll be out in Aggieville. Aggieville, Aggieville, I'll be out in Aggieville. Aggieville, Aggieville, I'll be out in Aggieville. Aggieville, Aggieville, I'll be out in What's up, everybody? You're listening to yet another edition of Cocaine Willie. Tonight, we are celebrating. I'm drinking a glass of wine. I don't know if any of y'all are, are going to be sipping on something around there, but K-State's coming off a massive 2-0 and stretch against top 20 teams with big home wins against the number 19 Iowa State Cyclones on Saturday and the number nine Baylor Bears last night. Coach Tang once again stuck it to his mentor and Scott Drew and put the Cats solidly in third place in the conference behind number eight Texas and number three Kansas. What's going on, Fireball Matt? How was the game last night? How are you doing? Let's just let's dive right in. What's up, my boy? Um great to be back and uh i have a feeling this show is going to be a lot happier and we're going to be vibing pretty well um compared to last week when i called the team ass four or five times but uh last night was great obviously saturday was great um this team is just showing a ton of resolve right now and uh it's been impressive to see the turnaround and I mean, Big 12 play we knew was going to be difficult, and I wasn't necessarily expecting we'd be coming out with a uh, 2-0 record uh, against ranked teams past two games, but we did, and now we can safely say we're going to have a pretty good seed for the NCAA tournament, which is very exciting. I mean, we were we were a number three seed going into last weekend, right? Like, going into this Baylor game, so... That that in and of itself was was looking pretty damn good, but but the Baylor win that's, I mean that elevates this team to to another potentially another seed line if we can take care of business in these last couple of games. So I'm I'm feeling really confident that if we can we can take care of business against Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and West Virginia, that this team will be will be fighting for a two seed. I think that's safe to say. Uh, if we're able to. If we're able to go three and zero, that would put us in the running for a two. I think at a two and one or one and two stretch here, that would keep us at a three seed. And uh, I mean, if we go on three, we'll probably be a four, maybe even a five. Uh, but we're not going to think about those vibes. We're thinking positive. Let's get our cats a two or three seed in the NCAA tournament and. We're on the show. We are. We're absolutely rocking with the positive vibes tonight. Chef, you've got the positive vibes, brother. How are you feeling? Of course. I'm feeling great, man. I mean, who would have thought that we'd be in the position that we are? You know, we were maybe maybe we were counting our chickens a little bit too much two weeks ago when we had the opportunity versus Texas Tech and we had Oklahoma. We were thinking big picture and – 
we get we get through that week and we're a little down in the dumps and we're we're a little sad. We we got a little poopy. We're a little got a little poopy in our pants, but it all turned around. And you you said we were a we were a three C before that Iowa State game. I mean, we were the second the second ranked three seed before the Iowa State ranked win at home and the top ten win versus Baylor at home. I'm not going to say that we. I mean, we could be pushing two seed right now. I mean, if you look at the landscape of basketball where it's at, <clears throat> Baylor was a two seed. I think they had Virginia as a two seed, and they just lost to Boston College. Uh, very bad loss by like 20-something. Very bad loss. It's, I, don't think, I don't think we'll dip below four. I think we're pretty much locked in at a four seed, no matter how it goes out these last three games. But – you know, if you you take care of business at home versus Oklahoma and go one of three going into Big Twelve tournament uh, time, I mean, we could be pushing two. Like you said, I think a two seed is very much on the table. Every every game we're going to be playing from here on out is a quad one win. Maybe the Oklahoma game I think is a quad two, but. So much opportunity out there that you know the 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 sky is the ceiling is the roof is everything, and I I think it would be a quad two win for Oklahoma because we're not playing that game on the road. Had we had we beaten them on the road in Norman, and that would have qualified as a quad one win. But when you're when you're playing a team like that at home, it I think it, it defaults to whatever quadrant quadrant they're actually in, which I think is quad two. Uh, and I could be totally wrong about that, but. Based on everything I've gathered, that that seems to be how that stuff works. But let's dive in. I mean, let's talk about that Iowa State game first and foremost. I guess some of the storylines coming into that one and, and coming out of that one, I, you know, the Cats were looking really bad. And it kind of looked like it was going to be a continuation of that that losing skid from the previous two losses in that first half against Iowa State. The, the Cats only put up 23 in the first half went into the locker room down eight against the Cyclones, and and that's a low-scoring team. That's a grinded-out defensive team. And losing, being down by eight points, it can feel insurmountable against a team like Iowa State. So I think it says a lot that this team was able to, to come out of halftime strong, come out of halftime, and and it really was a tale of two halves. They, they grinded it out. Um, which is something that Tang mentioned after after the game to the team is that it was a grinded out victory and and I don't think he could have been any more spot on with that assessment. Uh, K State outscored Iowa State in the second half, thirty eight to twenty four, and in a game where the shooting still really wasn't great from the K State side of the side of things, thirty seven point five percent from the field, and and went eighteen for forty eight overall. It was better than Iowa State shooting effort, which is really all we needed <laughs> at the end of the day. Uh, they jacked up 62 total shots from the field and only made one more than we did. But but I think uh, this game was kind of won from the stripe in some cases uh, as far as just looking at, at where the points came from. Marquise was 8 for 8, for eight from the stripe, and, and that in some cases kind of put us over the top there. Um, from the Iowa State side of things, Jazz Koontz, he led the day with 15 points. They only had two guys in double figures scoring at whatsoever. It was it was Koontz and Kalsher being the second guy who had 11. And and what did we say last week? We said that it would take Keontae Marquise getting back into a groove to get this team back on track. And, and that did happen, uh, at least on Keontae's side. 
Uh, he had 15 and, and on Marquise's side, he had 20 shooting. Uh, and to add to that, Marquise went four from nine uh, from beyond the arc. So I, I think by all accounts, it wasn't the best shooting day, but the two guys that we needed to have scoring points for us were the guys who who stepped up and delivered on that. And, and I think just another really quick tidbit that I have before we before we open it up to the group here, but Keontae, Marquise, and Naquan all had six rebounds in a game where we got out-rebounded 41-32, to 32, but those rebounds in the second half were critical um, to keeping Iowa State, frankly, at, at arm's length, given that uh, after a certain point, we we kept them, we we kept the lead, and we we it was close at times. But but K State closed out that game by keeping the lead against Iowa State after the first few minutes of the second half. Um, so that that's kind of my spiel on the Iowa State game. Uh, I'll throw it over to Chef first. What were your thoughts on that game? What were your first What were your first thoughts going into halftime? I know the three of us were texting, but. Vibes were still pretty low headed into headed into the half. Uh, what do you think it took uh, from Coach Tang in the halftime speech to get this game uh, back on track for the guys? Yeah, the reactions weren't good going into halftime. The you know just the shooting was just bad. We were just very off, and you know Naquan got into foul trouble again. Couldn't find his way. I I said at the beginning at I text you guys and I said I think it's going to be an ish game, and you know he hit he hit a couple he hit a three early and then he kind of just disappeared. But and then in that first half, what was Marquise? What did he have? Like maybe two points going into halftime. Yeah, it was almost it was pretty similar to this Baylor game. Where I don't yeah. think he even had he had like two or fewer points going into halftime. Which same thing with Baylor. And and what he did going into halftime, and I know Matt's going to touch on a lot of this, but and I don't want to take all his talking points, but Marquise coming out and being aggressive and finding that first shot to finally go in, it it built that momentum and got that crowd, got Bramlage going again, and gave the spark for that run. I mean, it was a straight punch to the mouth, right? What we gave them coming out of halftime. And it was it was exactly what we needed. And if you look at Marquise's shots recently, his shots have been a little bit off. But when he's actually not 12 feet back from the three-point line, he's actually a very decent three-point shooter. I mean, we all love the, the half-court and logo threes. But when he's right on the line and he's catching them in rhythm or pulling in transition sometimes – those go in more likely, I mean, I wouldn't say 50, but I'd probably say about 40% of the time. He's hitting those right when his foot's near the line. But when he's so far back, it's not very effective. But that Iowa State game, he he pulled him out, got some clutch threes to go in and build that momentum and allowed his other teammates to, you know, we we finally get that lead. And, you know, Iowa State, we just sucked the air out of them. So... It, it was exactly what we needed. Second half comeback team, and it I, it kind of foreshadowed what happened in that Baylor game. Yeah, and I think it was after we retook the lead. I, Iowa State had taken the lead thirty eight thirty seven with the fourteen minute mark, and and that was after we had had taken our first lead in the second half. 
after we retook the lead at the 13 minute mark, Iowa State never led the rest of the way. So that was that was 13 minutes and it was it was a grind, like I said before, but we were able to keep them at arm's length enough to where we held them at bay. We we and we ended up keeping that momentum and and securing the victory. So I was I was just glad to see that this team, after regaining control and regaining that lead, we held them off for 13 minutes of of basketball in the second half, which you know, similar to last night's game too, that's that kind of stuff, grinding it out and, and keeping those leads when you get them is critical in this stretch. Well, the team showed a lot of resolve. That first half was ugly in many ways. Thankfully, from a defensive perspective, we were at least able to hold them, um, you know, hold them to what, 31 uh, points in the first half. Uh, which is pretty good uh, knowing that the ball isn't going into the basket, but the second half, the team definitely uh, kind of a complete, I wouldn't say a complete 180 cause we weren't making every shot, but uh, I'm sure in the locker room, it was a lot of get your head out of your ass type situation. You look really shitty out there. Um, I'm sure it was said and you know, maybe it was said like that, or maybe it was said nicer, who knows? But anyway, the the team just showed the fight that we saw in the beginning of the season, especially in close games. When you're in a position where you're playing the other team's game, you have to find a way to put a stiff arm in their face and keep them from getting closer. I would say Iowa State, based off of this recent kind of track record they've had, they have not looked great. You can see that Caleb Grill not playing hurts this team in a few facets, especially with outside shooting. So he is a loss for that team, but it's it's a ranked win at home, which is huge. And for a lot of our fan base with how much maybe chiding we do with Iowa State, it was good to get this one, knowing that the game in Ames – they kind of did the same to us with a little bit of a stiff arm. We couldn't couldn't figure that one out. But I was proud of the way Marquise Noel shifted his game in the second half, made some big shots. The important thing was getting getting guys open. And we were able to see in the paint um, in that second half um, some more shots in the paint, um, some good passing, and it – it did spread to the Baylor game, which I know we'll talk about here in a little bit, but a great win in the grand scheme of things, put this team, gave them some momentum, gave them some confidence for last night. Also, I mean, I want to bring it up to the group. I'm sure we'll, before we get to the Baylor, but this is where it kind of started with this Iowa state game. Gasson, he didn't play. I thought, I thought, Tang pulled him from that OU game because there was just no energy from him. And I think that might've been the case, but obviously he was battling some kind of flu like symptoms. Um, He probably had the squirty butts, but you know, that gave the opportunity for Desi Sills to start. And once Desi's Desi's two and O as a starter. So I would like to, I want to throw to you guys. What, what do we think of that lineup with Desi being the starter? And I mean, he's, putting up basically the same amount of minutes, but just that spark at the start of the game, 
obviously hasn't looked too good. But I mean, what do what do we think of that starting lineup? Uh, I mentioned this. Sorry. Uh, Bob, but uh, I mentioned this last night when I was watching uh, the Baylor game, but uh, the start of the Iowa State game, the small lineup, I think it's a mismatch compared to Iowa State, especially with Osinini, uh, their center, um, who obviously did not have a huge game, but he's a guy that can rebound the basketball and and give, uh, you know, give Iowa State back the ball. Um you know, to try and get something going. Uh, you could, I could tell David Gasson really wasn't playing too, too well. Um, I like the small lineup and by small lineup, if you call Naquan Tomlin small, but uh, he has characteristics of a, some of those guard characteristics holding the ball, which plays really well. Um, I will say for the Iowa State game, I think that small lineup wasn't necessarily, you know, with Sills playing, it wasn't necessarily a great lineup. Um, he didn't have, you know, he played 34 minutes and he shot, he only took five shots, uh, which I would say we probably want to see him take maybe a few more shots, trying to get into the paint a little bit more um, and only four points, but it was good to see a little bit of a spark with Desi because he does bring intensity to a game. And this does prove that we can play a handful of different lineups against teams and be successful. I think the small lineup will be huge, especially as we get into the NCAA tournament Um, and being able to spread with a five uh, and having a five out at the three point line that could potentially make a three um, or at least spread that defense out um, to allow Marquise then to be able to try and find somebody inside. I don't have a ton to say on this other than I tend to err on the side of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And if we're two and O while starting Desi, keep that momentum going. Like, let's just, let's just keep riding with that ride with the hot hand type of type of vibe. Granted it from Desi's production, it doesn't look like it's had much of an impact there as far as making him more productive, but I like to ride the hot hand, so to speak. And if that lineup is working as a starting lineup, as far as this team winning games is concerned, great. Let's let's keep rolling with that. But at the same time, these first halves haven't looked great from from these last two games. So, you know, I I, I mean, who are we starting with when when we come out of the locker room? Are we starting with that same starting five from the beginning of the game, yeah. or is it a different lineup? Well, I think from what I've seen the last two games, it's the same starting lineup that's came out in the second half. But I mean, I'm a I'll, I'll push back a, a little bit from what I said and what we, what you just said as a collective, what we just said that we haven't looked good in the first half. I mean, that start at Baylor, we were dog walking them until they went on that 21 to three run. And a lot of that half started because Naquan got in foul trouble for, for the second. Well, I can't say second straight game because he's been in foul trouble basically every game it seems like, but once he went out, that's when the run came but we were playing really, really well for that Baylor game at the first half. I would say not fair. so much, but you know the minutes aren't changing. But it's just kind of the dynamic changes. Whether Gasson comes in and, and you know when I think of basketball, the starting five really just sets the tempo for the game. Not necessarily how many minutes somebody plays or whatever, because basically you're gonna the roles aren't gonna change. Like Scott said in the chat. You know, the roles aren't changing. Desi's still going to get the same amount of minutes. But if Gasson's on the bench and he's watching how the game is flowing, 
I think Gasson coming off the bench, watching how Naquan is attacking the rim or how, what the game flow is, I think he responds better from him coming off the bench rather than Desi because Desi's a ball handler and he's going to basically play that game no matter what. But if Gasson sees how the, the game is flowing and if they're calling it tight, whether they're people are going at the rim and they're not calling anything or they are calling something, I think that changes his game a lot more than it does Desi, if that makes any sense. That's a really fair point. And, <laughs> and, and the team did get out to a 16 to 10 lead in the first half uh, through the first 10 minutes. So, so you, you're absolutely right about that. I don't know. My, my take on it is similar to I'm, I'm going to do a deep cut Royals Royals reference here. It reminds me of Eski Magic. Like it, it didn't add any productivity to the lineup whatsoever when you had Alcides Escobar batting at the top of the lineup. But the Royals won a World Series doing it, and it seemed to work as far as like the vibes and just having good energy in how things were working. So I don't know. I don't have a very good answer as far as like the ball aspect of it, but I like riding with the hot hand. I like that if something's working, stick with it. So I, I hope we stick with it. And if it deci- if they decide that it's not working for whatever reason, then we can switch it up again and, and try to get something else different or fresh in there. Um, but I mean, should we let's let's dig into the Baylor game since since you brought it up, Chef. Um, as far as the storyline is concerned, K-State dominated Baylor in the second half, just full stop there to secure the season sweep after trailing by three at the end of the first half. And, and to dig in a little bit on the first half and, and the second half individually, the first half, the Cats got out to a 16 to 10 lead, like we like we mentioned in the first half of the first half. So those first th- uh, first 10 minutes, uh, they were on pace for 48 rebounds through 10 minutes. So the rebounding, these dudes were crashing the boards. It was it was wild watching that happen. And then Baylor got out to a 30 to 25 lead with with 215 left. Uh, they hit four threes in the final six minutes of the first half and finished the half with a 34 to 31 lead over the Cats going into the locker room. And then in that second half, Keontae got things going with a, it was just a beautiful stroke of a three. And these two teams went kind of punch for punch for the first five minutes of the second half. The Cats went on a 6 0 run. They played Sandstorm. K State sustained momentum uh, after Sandstorm and got out to a 55 to 44 lead with eight minutes left. Again, similar to that Iowa State game, held Baylor to arm's length, but but with a much wider margin uh, than the Iowa State game uh, with leads as wide as 14 uh, with four minutes left to go. Baylor narrowed the lead to eight, but really it was it was too little too late for the Bears as the Cats cruised to an easy 75-65 to 65 victory in that second half and a season sweep over Baylor for the first time since the Big 12 championship 18-19 season. Um, Matt, how loud was the octagon after those two breakaway flushes by Keontae and Cam Carter. Ooh. It was loud. It was a good environment last night. I know a lot of people don't like the six o'clock tips. I'm probably the minority because I'm very fortunate that I have flexibility to be able to get there prior to six. And I like getting back to Kansas city (laughs) at a decent time, but I know that's not, I'm probably the minority with that, but um, the environment was great. And, and those two dunks were the product of good defense and having guys in the right spot. And that is probably my big takeaway out of this whole game was defensively. I felt we really did. 
Baylor's got talented guards. They're, they're a talented team. The way that we defended Adam Flagler last night was great. LJ Cryer got his points. We saw Keontae George, why he's going to be a top 10 pick in the NBA draft this upcoming year. But the, the guys played really well in an environment that for a Tuesday night game, I, I, I felt the environment was really good. Um, we can talk about sandstorm all we want, but, uh, it was loud. It was fun. It was a, it was a fun, fun game. Chef, what were, what were some of your initial reactions to that game? And, and were you concerned heading into the locker room at halftime or did you feel confident that based on how things played out in that Iowa state game, that K-State would come out firing on all cylinders and, and really hand it to Baylor in the second half, like they did. I didn't. I didn't necessarily think that we'd come out firing all all cylinders. Now, the difference between Iowa State and this Baylor game, uh, you said it when we were reviewing the Iowa State game. When we're down eight, that feels like we're it's fifteen because their defense is so much is is so suffocating. I I guess you could say. They're, they're a really good defensive team and they're very physical. They'll, I mean, at all costs, they will foul you so they don't give up a basket. And that's the opposite of Baylor. Like, I feel like the, the runs are available against Baylor. Now you're going to give up runs against Baylor. Like we saw. So I knew that we had a chance if we could get the offense going, I was a little nervous because Marquise was struggling again, shooting the ball. He wasn't making any bonehead turnovers, but we had a scoring threat that could get his basket whenever he wanted. And that was Keontae. Keontae was doing his thing. He was very, very confident. And it showed right from the beginning. We ran a set play through the lob to Keontae. And it, and it kind of sparked his, uh, his drive to get buckets all over whoever was guarding him and they, and Baylor wasn't, it was so, it was such a weird game. I don't know what Baylor does defensively. Maybe it's Jerome Tang's absence, but the defensively, I don't know what they're doing because they're not doubling Keontae like everybody else does. No, there was, I mean, maybe two double teams that, that I remember specifically from the game on Keontae and he's dropping 25 on you basically at, at will. And But that was the reason why I was a little hesitant is because Marquise was struggling again, and we text back and forth in our group chat. The momentum could get shut off so quick when it comes to Marquise because of the shot selection that he has. I mean, he's a, he's a loose cannon, and I like that because he has the, that playmaking spark. But, man, oh, man, he makes some dumbass – I mean, he shoots some dumbass shots – and it's crazy because if they go in, like you're like enthralled, you're like you're so ecstatic that that they could really spark the team if he makes them, just like the Iowa State game. If he make if he doesn't make those threes, we don't win versus Iowa State. But this Baylor game, we're kind of cruising because other he's making plays, hand, assisting the ball. This is his best turnover to uh, turnover to assist ratio I think he's had. A ten to zero, and he's playing so well passing the ball, but he's he feels like he has to make the play by scoring the ball when he doesn't have to do that, and he just shoots these dumbass shots, and it 
it, it kind of ruins the momentum and it gets Baylor back in the game. But to answer your question, because I went off on a tangent, no, I wasn't very confident, but I, at the same time, I knew it wasn't out of reach because of how bad their defense was. I, I want to make a point uh, because you did bring it up. So I'm of the opinion that Marquis Noel, he does his best work when he's finding others opportunity to make shots. I think everybody that, that might be an easy, easy one to, to look at, but the way that he commands the defense, he does a really good job of moving pieces around, especially in the, some of the offensive sets that we had to get an open shot. And he does his best work when he's looking out instead of trying for a logo three. Um, I found this statistic very interesting um, and I will give, of course, um, Evan Miyakawa his due. I don't know if anybody follows him, but he's an analytics guy on Twitter. Um, But something from the K-State perspective last night in the game versus Baylor. So K-State is 14 and 0 when they at least 65% of their made shots are assisted. So 65% of what we make has some type of assist with it. We're 14 and L and we're an 11 and two when we have 70 or fewer possessions in the game. And so last night we were at 71% from an assist percentage and we were 65 possessions in that game last night. And so the key for this, this team is not being selfish with the basketball that's the key thing. And Marquise, I like at the end of the day, he got his points, right? He's, he's killer at the free throw line, which uh, we're going to continue to, uh, you know, kind of, <laughs> we need to take advantage of, um, especially getting to the free throw line. But um, he, he does his best work when he's finding other guys open. And, and that has to continue if we're going to go somewhere in March. Um we saw a little bit of it at the Iowa State game, but yesterday was for me just showed how much we like him as the point, the general of the of this, this team, the quarterback of this team. Doesn't have to be going for the Hail Mary every time, but if you can get those short dink passes into the paint, get it to Keontae. We saw Cam Carter did a great job. David Gasson made some layups in there. Um, it, it truly was a really good game for Marquise, even though he only had 14 points. And and to to go on top of that, you know, when we're running sets, he he is a floor general, like you said. Tang needs to, you know, he said in post game something like about um, maybe one of his assistant coaches told him that he's slowing them down too much, and I think that affects. And that, that they should run more, like when they get rebounds, that they should run more and just get out and just try to get a quick shot or whatever. But I think he does need to run. There needs to be a balance of set plays because when Marquise is laser focused on not being too sporadic and just forcing too much stuff, when he's in a set, he's he's awesome. He's incredible. But when we're when we're going so fast that he that he wants to pull up a three or you know 
throw these over the top passes that that most of the time are out of bounds or turnovers at the end of the day. I think the set plays because Tang is running a very I mean when we run set plays we're very very effective like you just said Matt when the when the assists are flowing we're it's hard to beat us because that it makes everybody on the floor an offensive weapon and if Naquan could stay out of foul trouble we would have beat Baylor by a million you know that guy is the the that guy is going to be so clutch down in Mar- down when it comes down to March and into the NCAA tournament we're we're going to need him not in foul trouble because he he does so much for this team when he's not in foul trouble but I, i'm sure we're going to i want you guys to respond to that but i want to talk the defense for a second because i i said something last week and i think it applied for this game the one the one thing i do want to say is shout out to to Robbie Triano who we had on one of our early early basketball season podcasts but he pointed out uh, one of those set plays similar to what you're saying, Chef, with uh, where Ke- or, uh, Marquise, it was a design play for Keontae Johnson, I think, but it ended up going to, to Tomlin. And the way that it was designed, it just worked out really well. Tomlin, Tomlin was there as opposed to Keontae being there because of the way that Flo Thamba helped on, on the play defensively. That play design was was incredible, and I see Alex. I think you you sh- you're shouting out that same play or a similar play down there in the chat. But um, that was great. I, I couldn't agree more on the when he's playing the role of the floor general and he is running the plays the way that they're designed. Those are where we are the most deadly and the most effective. If he's getting the ball where where the playmakers can get the ball, perfect. Like put it put it where it needs to be. Um, but that's all I've got on that piece. I want to I want to talk a little bit about the defense that happened in this game because I brought it up last week because we talked about the OU game and how we absolutely got murked because they were shooting it from wherever they wanted to because we tried to over adjust and you know Tang's going to give the reason that they're just tired that the the legs weren't there. And I mean, that could be very much true. Obviously I'm going to take his word for it. I don't think that's necessarily coach speak, but if the legs aren't there, it just makes defense harder. But we saw what happened in this Baylor game where the defense is so we're, we're making it so hard for them on the interior that we're letting those threes go because even if they shoot, if you bring up the box score, they shot 40% from three, which is very, very good. But if you contest a little bit and you make it so difficult for them to score inside the arc, you're going to win most of those games because I think we, what we hold them to like less than 40% from two, those are, that's where you need to make your bread because the twos, if they start flowing easily to the basket and we cut off Keontae George, get into the rim and Flagler, we, sh- I mean, we locked him down. We need to come in cam uh, Cam Carter for the defense that he put on Flagler. But once you start making them have hard looks at two, the threes aren't going to fall as much as you would think. Like even if they shoot 40%, we still walked away with a 10 point victory. And I think the defense stepped up big time versus Baylor. That's like the number one offense in the big 12. 
Yeah, uh, you made a really good point there. I think defensively we did a a good job of just keeping them to making shots behind the arc, which we knew going in that was going to be something that we we had to try and control. Um, And admittingly, outside of Keontae George, LJ Cryer, they had 10 of the 11 made threes, and then the other one was uh, Chama Chachua. I felt we did a good job from a defensive perspective and holding them in line. Something that I did notice, and obviously the Baylor games that I watched this season either include K-State or Kansas, um, and I watched a couple others earlier this season. But from their their paint game, you know, Flo Thamba is considered their five, and he was largely ineffective in this game. I mean – the, the lineup that we put out there really was not conducive for Flo Thamba being able to cover out on the, the three-point line. That's why we saw a lot of minutes from Chama Chichua. I mean, he had 11 points. He did a good job. I mean, he had double-double, 11 points, 12 rebounds. But um, it, it was interesting to see from their perspective how bad Baylor is defensively in the paint. People talk about it. Um, how they're the worst team in the Big 12 in in the paint defensively. And we really took advantage of that in the game plan. And that's a that's a, a very smart move, obviously, from Jerome Tang and the coaching staff. And you also wonder how much these games, these two games this season against Baylor, how much of the knowledge that Jerome Tang has had of 19 years of Scott Drew, how, how much are you putting that in the game plan? You have to imagine it's it's pretty significant. And knowing some of the defensive sets that Scott Drew is going to put out there to try and, and get stops, it, that has to be a, a huge piece of this puzzle too. But from the from a defensive perspective, it, to hold Baylor to sixty five points, I think is a really strong strong game. And that's not even getting into you know us on the offensive end. I like I like what you said about Flo Thamba too. That dude was virtually non-existent on the court yesterday. He had two points and one rebound. That that was his stat line. No no blocks, you, no steals. <laughs> if you look Go at ahead, if you listen to Locked On Baylor, I like you know I, I'm a degenerate and I'm a scumbag of a human. So when we win, I like to listen to every podcast available from that opposing team just to get their reaction to how like we stomped a mud hole in them. Now, if we lose, I'm, I don't want to listen to any sports, but when we win, I go and search every possible thing that Baylor has in reaction to the game and locked on Baylor. It's kind of a running joke, how they hate Flo Thamba. I mean, he's probably, he, I think he basically won them the national championship that in 2021 or whatever year it was. And, how he's regressed so much. I mean, statistically, I think they said that he's had 12, he had 12 points and eight rebounds. And that was over his last four games. And he's the starting five on the number nine team in the country. That's insane. Like how bad he is. And they keep throwing him out there. So I don't know. I mean, if we want to talk about, (laughs) this isn't a Baylor podcast, but if we want to talk about like their, potential run that they could make in the NCAA tournament or lack thereof because no defense uh, and uh, basically a 
stationary piece that can't do anything for you as a starting player on the team. I mean, it's, it's bad to see that. And I think Jerome Tang knows that. And we did exactly what we wanted to do. And what a weird contrast of games. I mean, we, the, what was the score in Waco we had? It was just a back and forth. And this one was kind of a super, super high scoring game. Yeah, it was yeah. a super high scoring game. It went to it went to overtime, but we won ninety seven ninety five. I think the guard play can get them far in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> um, they would be a team that. I mean, you. I think in the tournament, I think it seems like most teams either you have to be you have a a, a great rebounding five and lockdown defense, and you can hit threes, but they really can hit threes but other than that i mean it's so scary to think that if one of their guys is missing or by god you're relying on a freshman to carry you through the ncaa tournament how hard that's going to be so if they're if they're not hitting threes i think they could be an early out especially if they catch a team that plays better defense than k-state yeah i mean i i do think that the addition of Chamwa Chichua is going to that it's only going to get better from there for Baylor. Um, I, I would pick them to go pretty far in the NCAA tournament because as he gets back, they're able to get the, they're able to get their team going, but this is not a Baylor podcast. So I'm going to stop talking about no. that. Fuck, that no, team. it's not. No, it's not. We talked enough about them last week, and I was praising them, and it made me feel dirty. So I'm not I'm not doing that again. Let's talk about the Cats. In this matchup, Marquise had a double-double with 14 points and 10 assists, and all 14 points came in the second half. Uh, another note that I, that I thought was a fun little nugget is Naquan Tomlin now has the record for most dunks in a season at K-State, according to KSU Fan, I think with 33. Uh, so that was a fun little, fun little nugget. Uh, K-State had nine fast break points in the first 12 minutes to Baylor zero. So I, I, I think the team just in general did a really damn good job of, of when, when you would, would get a turnover and in transition, you're able to get those fast break, fast break points. I feel like in a lot of these games, we've had a lot of errant passes or turnovers that come on the other side in transition that, that end up squandering the play and, and squandering the opportunity. And it was the opposite of that in this game. So we definitely took advantage of those fast break points. Um, and then the last thing that I want to say, and, and this applies to the Iowa state game as well, the Iowa state game, we had 11 turnovers, which to that point was the lowest turnover game since the Florida matchup, which we all know how that one ended. We tied a season low for turnovers in the single digits for uh, for the season with seven total, uh, which that that original season low came during that Wichita State game in December. So this team, I just little stat, this team is undefeated when they turn it over twelve or fewer times per game. So that might be my like back in football season we had the Cats are undefeated every time they score thirty or more points. The Cats are undefeated every time they turn it over 12 or fewer times per game in basketball. That's kind of bananas. I mean, single-digit turnovers, I mean, how rare is that in, like, modern basketball that we see even see? I mean, I watched the game versus North Carolina and uh, North Carolina State, and I think 
North Carolina State didn't have their first turnover until nine minutes left in the second half. And I'm thinking in my head, like, is this normal in in basketball? But then I'm, like, watching Big 12 basketball and, like, every every other possession is a turnover. So I don't know if it's just the defenses in the Big 12 forcing turnovers. But, man, oh, man, it's so nice to see us keep the turnovers low. Like Matt said earlier, those assists on, what would you say, 65% of the – or 71% of the the baskets made is just – that's that's how it's supposed to be played, man. It's it's beautiful to see. Yeah it 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 was noticeable last night how just how well run the offense was. Um, there there are times where I, I feel like our zone offense can be a little stagnant, and you see guys standing around. Um, Maybe it gives you slight flashbacks of the Bruce Weber era sometimes, but um, you know, last night was definitely a good opportunity to really see when you can get the ball moving around and you can find guys to get a good shot that when they go in the basket, you're going to have a chance to win. Um, They have to keep that up. The turnover piece was very impressive to see um, the past two games, how they have limited the turnovers. I think a lot of it also has to do with some of the fast break opportunities um, or some of the set offensive plays that end up getting a little bit hectic. And then it seems like the team sometimes mentally loses focus during plays. And that's where some of those turnovers can, can come into play. So uh, I felt the team was really focused last night and, and, knew, you know, what type of opportunity they had, but yeah, it, this, this game is going to shine large for us because it does prove that, you know, we kind of took a 180 from the, the Owen two um, games on the road. It does bring, you know, some added pressure for the next three games of just keeping up and, you know, trying to play at that offensive level and keep the, keep the defense rolling too. And we are not done handing out flowers. Guys, can we talk about the seasons that Keontae and Marquise are having individually for a minute? Uh, are we down for that? How's, how's everybody feeling about that? Oh, hell yeah, man. I'm always down to talk, talk, give praise where it's due. Give them flowers. <laughs> I mean, first and foremost, I, I just got curious. So I decided to go to the Big 12 Conference website like a good commissioner does. And just looked up some of the some of the leaders in the statistical categories across the lovely Big 12 conference which we all love so much and is undeniably the best conference in college basketball. Keontae Johnson is currently second in points scored and in points per game in the Big 12 right now. He's behind only Jalen Wilson, which is understandable. That dude I feel like puts up 30 per night. Uh, but he's got 17.6 points per game and 494 total points scored. He's also second in field goal shooting percentage with 51.9% overall, only behind Emmanuel Miller from TCU, who's who's also pretty lights out shooting the ball. And he's second, again, behind Jalen Wilson in total rebounds with 202. Uh, he's fourth in rebounds per game uh, as well in that, in that category. So not, not averaging as high on the rebounds per game category, but in total rebounds, he has games where he just – over over dominates the, the other players on the court. So he's got 202 there and second in the conference. And from Marquise's perspective, 
his first in total minutes played in the Big 12, which is a stat I heard last night that I was actually unfamiliar with. So I want to make sure that the audience is aware of that one. He's played 1,016 minutes and averages 36.3 per game, which is crazy to think that that dude is only sitting for, for three minutes and, what, 20, 40 seconds per game. Uh, he leads the league first place in steals with 63. He's averaging 2.3 per game. He leads the league in assists with 212, averaging 7.6 per game. And he blew out, as we all know, the single season record for assists at K-State, which was set by Steve Henson back in the 80s. And he's fourth in the league in assist to turnover ratio. He leads the league. This is the last category that he leads in, but in free throw percentage, he's going 89.1% from the line and has attempted more free throws than anyone in the league by 14. So this dude, one thing that really stands out to me about Marquise's play is when, when he is driving into the paint, that dude is drawing a foul almost every time. And, and it shows in the stats because he's, he's shot more free throws than anybody else by 14. Um, and then just one more, one more piece is he's fourth in the league in total points scored. Uh, with 471. So he's 23 points behind Keontae uh, pretty closely in, in who's, who's in second place. So he's, he's pretty closely in fourth place there uh, in fifth in average points per game with 16.8. So I, I just wanted to give those guys their due because we've talked about them all season, but when you look at, at this point in the season, we've only got three conference games left. It's kind of wild to see that the resume they've built for themselves through conference play so far in their, you know, final but only season in, in the case of Keontae, but final season in the case of, of both of them, uh, it's it's really great to see just the impact that they've had, not only at K-State, but the impact that they're having, having conference-wide. And, and knowing that the Big 12 is as good of a conference in basketball as it is, these guys have really made their mark nationally. So I, that's all I have on that. I want all all of the takes, all the flowers for, for Marquise and Keontae from, from the two of you guys. Yeah, uh, the the statistics say for themselves. Um, Keontae Johnson, <clears throat> I I was very certain that getting Keontae Johnson to Kansas State was going to change the trajectory of this team. I wouldn't have definitely said we would be projected as a three seed in the NCAA tournament by any stretch. But um, the, you know, J- Jalen Wilson's having a great season. Um, and it's somewhat unfortunate because Keontae Johnson should easily be in the conversation for big 12 player of the year. Um, you could say the same for Marquise as well. Um, but Keontae and how he's been able to come back from that, um, you know, from collapsing on the court, it's been inspiring to see that result that he's had in, in coming back and, I mean, he's for sure a, a leader of this team. You know, it, where this team goes is in many ways dependent on how Keontae Johnson is playing and how, not just how he's playing on the offensive side, but how he's also playing on the defensive side. And so he, he obviously needs to continue the momentum um, for the, the last three games of the Big 12 schedule. We get into the Big 12 tournament and it, he showed he showed at Florida, you know, in the SEC tournament. He's a guy that'll take the big shot and get his team, you know, to semifinals, finals. Hope that's going to be the case this season. Um, and then Marquise Noel, we saw last year he had to lead a team that did not have the talent level around him uh, to be successful. 
you can see how bringing in guys who can score and bring in talent gives Marquise the ability to uh, obviously lead the league in assists because you have guys making baskets and, you know, he's, he showed that he's a very special point guard. Um, it'll be interesting to see from an all American perspective where these two line up, you know, do, do we have a first team or second team all American, uh, on the team, you know, is one of them in that level. It'll be very interesting to see, but it's been amazing. Uh, this ride is um, very much because of how the play of those two and how they've connected has been um, truly remarkable. Absolutely. I mean, the, the expectations going into the season, I mean, we could talk about what we thought we were going to get from those guys and the uncertainty that we had with Keontae Johnson coming off of the heart issue, which is well-documented, and it's a great story for basketball. I think that will give him even more nod to maybe an All-American status just from what he's done and what where he's came from and what he's experienced. And, you know, what we could have thought that he we were going to get from him before his heart condition, he was, what, a 14-7 and seven guy? and preseason SEC player of the year and then taking two years off of basketball did we did we realistically think that he was going to put up numbers from the season that he was healthy while playing basketball his entire life and no no breaks in between but come to find out he's averaging almost 18 and 8 like they he's blown my expectations out of the water i didn't expect him to be nearly as physical the mid-range game is perfect his shooting from three i mean he had a lull where he was struggling from three but i mean like bob you tech uh you tweeted the stroke from three is looking amazing he's he deserves all the flowers i mean i'm i couldn't be more happy for a guy to come back from what he was dealing with and To put the season into perspective, you know, we didn't expect to be the three seed, and it's because of Keontae Johnson and Marquise. I'll get to him in a second, but it's because of that guy that we're able to do what we're doing. And Marquise, we could say the same thing, the expectations going into the season. I mean, he had Nigel Pack last year, who was another ball handler and a shooter that and he had to deal with Bruce Weber putting the restrictions on him. Did we think we were going to get a Marquise Noel that was going to – we knew we were going to get the scrappy defensive guy. That there's no – it doesn't matter what coach you have. You're a defensive pest. You're a defensive pest. And like you said, leading the league in steals, that's – I mean, that's what we – we were expecting that. But to average uh, basically a two-to-one turnover to assist ratio – Almost, yeah, I mean, two two to one, and in conference play, almost averaging 20 points per game and averaging eight assists a game. I mean, was anybody expecting that? No, I could not have seen that at all. And that's why we all kind of thought that we were striving to find a way to get into the tournament and maybe be a bubble team. And those guys turned their games on another level Marquise, I mean, he's the – I said it before and I'll say it again. He's the most conditioned athlete in college basketball today, maybe over the past, like, five years. I mean, I've never seen a guy 
run the minutes full speed like he does for an entire season. It's it's incredible. And those guys deserve any awards, any accolades that they get. And we, there was a Scott Drew line in the in the chat about the post game that there's no defense form. The only defense there is form is them graduating. And we're going to have to come to the realization that that we're going to be without them next year. And that that one's going to be a hard pill to swallow. But these guys are, I mean, they're goaded in my opinion. I mean, I haven't seen a guy as physical and able, able to score like Keontae has been doing since B's. So they're, in my opinion, the one year to one year, obviously BZ had a, an incredible season, All-American player of the year kind of uh, season, but Keontae's right there with him, and it, it's the winning is the winning is making it sweeter as well. It's it's been pretty remarkable watching, and, and again, couldn't be more stoked about what these guys have been able to do this season, and they're definitely going to be missed. I, I I hate that we only got one season of Keontae Johnson, but I think it's going to be one that. You know, who knows what happens in March, right? But I think it's going to be one that we're all going to be able to cherish and look back on with, with fond memories, and, and hopefully we'll be able to even even further that legacy in March uh, with, with, with what this team is able to accomplish at that point. Uh, we've got one matchup that we're going to talk about this week, so, so we're only going to do Saturday's matchup against Oklahoma State tonight as far as a preview is concerned. We'll be back next Tuesday instead of Wednesday next week. Uh, with the game being on Wednesday. And then we'll do both the Oklahoma and West Virginia previews in that episode, along with the the Oklahoma State recap. But with that, we do have an Oklahoma State game in Stillwater. If you live in Wichita, get down there. If you live anywhere near Stillwater, get down there if you can. Uh, Oklahoma State is an interesting team this season. They they started off the season 1-4, to start conference play and turn on the Jets, winning six of seven to cruise to a seven and five record. But they've dropped the last three matchups by pretty, pretty freaking wide margins. Uh, one against KU in Stillwater and two more on the road at TCU and at West Virginia and Morgantown. By an average margin, those three games losing by 18 points. So it's been a rough stretch for Oklahoma State here, but they are still 39th in Kempom. They're 42nd in the net and they are seventh in the pecking order in the Big 12 right now. And currently, I think the last thing I saw last night was Lenardi was projecting them as like an 11 seed in the tournament right now and, and one of the last four in potentially. So, I mean, I, I we can get into some of the individual guys. When we did the Oklahoma State preview last time, we didn't really get into some of the individual players on the team, but, but I think the biggest name to look out for is probably Caleb Boom. We've referenced him a couple of times. Uh, he averages 11.8 points. Uh, 5.2 rebounds and 1.2 assists per game. And then you got Bryce Thompson, uh, who is averaging 11.8 points per game as well, uh, with 2.9 rebounds and 2.4 assists. There, there's a few other guys that we could talk about if we want to, um, but but really I'm just curious what, what you two are looking for in this game. And in an up-and-down season, will Oklahoma State's pendulum swing back up after some heartbreaking losses that they've faced? Oh, man. This one's really tough for me. Um, we've had so many, like, we've, the vibes have been so great. Um, but here we go. So the Oklahoma State game is is a worrisome game for me. 
I, they played us really hard in Manhattan. Uh, obviously, that was a close game going into, uh, you know, basically the last minute in that second half. They did not have Musa Cisse in that game. They are a team that I think is better with Musa Cisse. Um, Caleb Boone's a good player. They have good guard play. Um, this is a team that needs a win. Oklahoma State, they need a win. They need a win against a top 15 team. For K-State, we don't play well on the road in recent times. Um, Stillwater has always been like a really difficult place for us to play. <laughs> I mean, historically, it's just been, it's been a rough, uh, it's been a rough g- uh, game when we go down there. So you can tell by my vibes that I don't feel good about Saturday. Um, I hope I'm wrong. Uh, the way that what we've seen with this team the past couple games makes me think, okay, they can get back on the right track, but it's, it's a game on the road. It's a game on the road. And they just recently have not showed the competitiveness to win a game on the road. Um, so I don't feel great about Saturday. So maybe chef can bring some, some positive vibes and uh, throw in my direction. And boy, am I bringing them. Let me tell you, I, I think you brought up Cissé and we didn't see him in Manhattan. You know, he's a he's an excellent rebounder, probably the best shot, shot blocker in the Big 12 right now. I mean, is there an argument for that? Maybe. I mean, I think he is. And he he was so limited. He he just got hurt right before we played uh, Oklahoma State. And his addition is going to be huge, but I also uh, we need to bring to the fact that their leading assist guy Avery Anderson isn't going to be playing. I'm assuming he had some kind of wrist injury, and he's been out for seems like a month now. Jesus, but he's he was instrumental in the team that Oklahoma State was. He was a their best ball handler. Um, so you're going to be seeing the ball in Bryce Thompson's hand. Uh, what's the other the other kid that was stroking threes on us? Um, Asbury. Uh, Asbury. He's going to be he's going to be essential for handling the ball. That's where they're depleted at, and I think that's why they're struggling so much recently is because they don't have the amount of ball handlers that they would if they had Avery Anderson. Um, I think they have a Newton kid that he handles the ball a little bit too, but they play 10 guys versus they play 10 guys. And I think like eight of them had over 10 minutes. They, they played a shit ton of guys versus us. They're going to be down one of those guys. So, you know, the game, I go back to the game and, in interiorly, they're so good defensively that adding Cisse to that is going to be real, real trouble. But you know, I think Keontae Johnson didn't have his best game. I think that's when he really started hitting his wall of the season. Marquise carried us, but you're not going to get a terrible game like you did. Naquan's not going to have a terrible game again like he did there. And I think his output of rebounding that we've seen over the last two games is going to help us so much against Cisse because we're going to have a healthy Gasson who didn't play in that game. And he, and Gasson is a better rebounder than Bebe, I think, in my opinion. So I think 
they're trading, they're bringing a big guy. We're bringing a big guy that haven't seen each other yet, but they're losing an experience. I think he's probably a seven, 12 year senior for Oklahoma state. And they're losing that. And I think that's going to affect them a lot more than, than they can manage because of the pressure that we put on Cam Carter's defense on Cam Carter's defense and, and Marquise Noel's defense pressuring the ball versus not very good ball handlers, I think is going to be the key of the game, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, I, it's going to (laughs) be shooting. Matt, Matt, don't, don't. No, I won't do it. I won't do it. (laughs) Shooting shooting is going to be the problem. And if shooting is going to be the problem. And if Marquise Noel, I think Marquise Noel is going to find it. You know, he, he lives for these moments, and I, I have the feeling, I have the inclination that his shooting lulls won't last forever. So I think we're going to see more consistent shots. I think rested legs, they're going to – we've already seen them. See, this is the thing about, like, the practice and stuff and putting it uh, – what's, what's it called? Um, installing game plans for a team we've already seen – we're going to have rested legs. It's a, not a very long trip to get there. So I think we're going to be, I think we're going to be rested. I think we're going to be motivated because if my conspiracy theory is right from the previous week, Brett Yormark is visiting KU at the moment and is telling them to maybe drop two games to get West Virginia and Texas. Oh Texas my God. No oh, I'm just, shit. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying that, you know, he, your mark doesn't care about the regular season champion. So he's, he wants to get these teams in the tournament. So he's telling KU, Hey, slip up, you know, give these two games away to West Virginia and Texas tech. And that's going to open the door for a little three and oh, K state, slide into regular season big 12 but wouldn't wouldn't brett Yormark want us to drop this game to assure that oklahoma state makes the tournament no 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 no. you got it all wrong (laughs) (laughs) i I mean if 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 we're hoping that the big 12 gets 10 or whatever nine in oklahoma state does have to kind of win this game unless they lose this they win the final two and then they got to win you know in kansas city but I mean, he, they're going to get the they're going to get the dub versus Baylor. That's what's going to separate us from Baylor, and because they're going to drop the game versus Baylor, Baylor's going to beat Texas. Texas is going to lose uh, is going to beat uh, lose to KU, and KU is going to drop the next two. So KU, if K State wins the next three, we're in. We're the number one. We are number one. See, you plugged that you plugged that into the simulator, didn't you? No, I just did that. I'm, in plug- my head I right am now. plugging this in the simulator right oh, now I mean, because I, I, <laughs> I don't yeah, even know it, how it this turns out. So K State wins their final three. Great. <laughs> we win their final three. Baylor loses to Oklahoma State. KU loses to West Virginia and Texas Tech. KU beats Texas. Texas loses to Baylor. Texas loses to Baylor but beats KU. Yes. Okay. KU loses to West Virginia and Texas Tech at home. Yes. Oh my God, this is 
<laughs> Kansas State would be the number one seed. In <laughs> Texas, what are, what are the final two. standings? Yeah, uh, K State in Texas at twelve and six, Kansas and Baylor at eleven okay. and seven. So we would get Oklahoma State or West Virginia in the first <laughs> game, and we would have Baylor and Iowa State in the semifinal if we won. <laughs> and we no might, way. and we might, and we might, oh and we might slide our way into a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. By the way, just I, w- I will say that <laughs> if if we're if we could use some mojo from Brett Yormark, it's Texas, Kansas, and TCU on the opposite side of us in the bracket <laughs> in the Big Twelve tournament. I don't mind. I don't be, mind. I don't. Love. I don't mind an early exit in the Big Twelve tournament. I I don't Me either. either. But I, I think Bill Slavin was right when he said that. I don't mind it either, but this could be the season to be like, oh, this this could be good. It could be, you know what? It, we've never won the Big Twelve tournament, right? Like, it could be a good opportunity to just be like, let's get us a let's get us a little trophy, you know? I, I mean, know. I, I feel I'm like all, based on Chef's, I, I was gonna say, I feel like based on Chef's Galaxy Brain theory here, he probably has Oklahoma winning the tournament to get the automatic bid and have all ten teams in. Oh my man! You know what you, this... you you read my mind because I was literally gonna say that. I said we were gonna get an early exit. We're regular season champions. I think, I mean, in that scenario, I think I didn't see that because I didn't plug it in. But if we're sharing it with Texas, I'm fine with that. Whatever. We don't need a sole victory. Let's just, let's just share I would the trophy. hate that. I would it's hate right. that. It's okay. It's okay. You know, and then uh. we'll, we'll share the Big 12 and Oklahoma rides into the, uh, the NCAA tournament. That's all 10 teams. You're welcome. Brett Yormark is playing 3D chess. Uh, uh, Bob Trollsby, all you have to do is tell your wife Texas is this two seed because they lost to Kansas State based on winning percentage against <laughs> number three teams, Baylor and Kansas, two and two. And that can be your talking uh, point. Yeah, it's not, but a, it's I not it. happening. I want it. I want it by ourselves. <laughs> I want it by ourselves. I don't want to share this shit. I hate sharing this shit. How can we get it by ourselves? Well, Texas, it's not possible. It's not Everybody po- loses out. I don't think it's, it's, it's impossible. Because if Texas, if Texas loses their final three, K State would literally the only possible way. No. No, there's no possible way. Because it's it's because <laughs> no, it would be shared with KU or Texas yeah, either way, correct. right? Yep, it, that's how it would work out. But and I'd much rather yeah. share it with Texas Fuckers. than I would. K- I mean, to be to share it with KU, but have KU be the two seed because they lost to Kansas State based on winning percentage against number <laughs> nine team West Virginia. <laughs> what a talking point that would be. <laughs> Oh my God! They there's, would be they would be so pissed off on Twitter. That there's there would no be way. Years and years. <laughs> where we I will say though, on. this is putting Texas Tech to win. They would Texas Tech would be eight and ten. Oh, the the, the turnaround. The, now, mind <laughs> you, it's all fun and games, and the tinfoil hats are out. But uh, fuck around and find out that Texas that Texas Tech isn't the second hottest team in the conference right now. No, they are. They are. And dude, That's I made a joke. So my 
my my wife went down to to visit one of her one of her good friends who went to a and m but she married a texas tech alum and and the tech guy was like what look watch us like we're still playing for a tournament spot and i like we both kind of made a joke like that's not gonna happen unless they go eight and ten and jokes kind of on us at this point because they very damn well could make and make a push and and finish eight and ten like that's a very realistic scenario right now i they hmm because they have TCU at home, which that's definitely – that's kind of a coin flip, I would say. If you get TCU – if you get a hot TCU. With but, Mike Miles The back, collapse that TCU is having is kind of like – nobody's talking about it. Like everybody said that TCU is that team that could could win the NCAA tournament or whatever because they're so talented and all this jazz. But like look at the collapse that they're kind of having. They're kind of getting – they're, I mean, they had the good win versus Oklahoma State where they dropped a, a hunter biscuit on them. But realistically, they, they're having a very below par season compared to where they started at the beginning of the season. They lost that, what, that opening game versus Charleston Northwestern fuck stick. And since then, they've been, they've been hot and cold. I mean, they, the injury bug hit them. Um, but they're having a really disappointing season in my opinion. I was just going to state, I, I think the, the most realistic simulation, let's say we do go three, you know, the rest of our games, Texas could easily drop two of their last three against Baylor and TCU. And if KU goes two and one in that final stretch, K state would be the two seed. And we would have Texas and TCU on our side of the bracket. So we could be, I I think a more realistic path is a two seed in the big 12 tournament, but hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. on. Did we put that in right? Hold on. Okay. Let's. So if if Texas just wins one more game and we win out there automatically a share to us in the big 12, what if they lose the TCU? Yeah, so if Texas loses to Baylor and TCU but beats Kansas, we are and we go three and zero. We're both twelve and six, but we get the tiebreaker. So, you know what? Hypotheticals. Let's just go out and kick Oklahoma State's ass. I got a crazy hypothetical for you. I am not surprised as as we segue into guys (laughs) talking ball. It's a little – I don't want to be insensitive because I'm going to put this disclaimer out there now. Uh, this basketball season has been absolutely fucking nuts. Um, there's been two murders and a mass shooting on a college campus. So I want to put this out right now that the loss of life is absolutely inexcusable. But who on this Kansas State team do you think – would bring the gun to another nope. teammate. <laughs> oh, my oh my god. Oh no. Oh no. I don't know. Right. I don't know. I don't know. All right. All right. Pull it pull it Nate Nate Aubrey. Nate no. Aubrey definitely. Nate Aubrey. He's definitely bringing it like he's bringing like a 12 gauge to something. But I mean, in all seriousness, how this Alabama situation that's happening right now, how, how is this happening? And, and, and it's just, how is there no, I don't know what the rules are where you guys live in Colorado and in 
and Kansas and and uh, and in Alabama, for God's sakes, how is it not a crime to bring a murder weapon to a scene of a murder? The weapon is used in a murder, and you're the one that brought the weapon. How is that not against the law? I mean, also reading the lawyer's statement about it. So for, for those of you who are unaware, there is a player for the University of Alabama's men's basketball team who was essentially is being charged for murder right now, murdering a, a, a female. And one of the other players on the team, I want to say his name is what, Brandon Miller? Correct. Um, Brandon Miller is one of their leading scorers for Alabama, if not the leading scorer for Alabama. And... The, the statement that Miller's lawyer put out was something along the lines of they went to a nightclub. He had the, he had the gun in the back of the car decided, Oh, he's just going to leave the gun in the back of the car. And then that ends up becoming the murder weapon. But I think I had seen some other people speculating that there were some text messages or something where like the guy who committed the murder asked him to bring the gun. So, I, I don't know. I haven't, frankly, done enough research on this to really know what what's going on here. But if if anyone in the live room or on the stage right now has any other better context to add, please, please, please do. Because I also don't want to speculate to the degree that we're going to be incriminating someone who maybe didn't do anything wrong. But I, I want to well, hear someone else's perspective. I, I, I Maybe if Matt wants to go first before I go, because I've kind of already talked about it. but. If Matt, if Matt, do you want to go first? I I don't know if I want to go first. <laughs> well, I'll say this then, because like you said, Bob, you broke it down perfectly from what I've seen, and I mean, there's a little more context. Um, the he never handled the weapon. One, that's what I think I've I heard. He never handled the weapon. This Brandon Miller kid, but he was text to bring the. And he didn't use the word gun. He used a street term, a street slang for it, which they never, they've never shown that yet. Uh, not, that, not that I've seen, but he used a street slang to bring the gun to the, to the situation. And he never handled it. He brought it in the trunk of the vehicle. The guy got it. And the vehicle was left there because the vehicle that Brandon Miller drove had bullet holes in it. So there was actually two, it was him and another teammate, not the murderer teammate, another teammate that was at the function when it happened. They witnessed the murder and then somehow drove the vehicle that had bullet holes in it that was carrying the murder weapon home. How is the, how is this possible? Where and what world do we, I mean, there's, I mean, just college back, just college sports in general. There's guys that are suspended for weed, that are suspended for fights, that are suspended for curfew violations. I mean, little things, but literally things that's taken a young a young mother's life. There's no ramification. He's playing right now. He's playing a basketball game, right? I mean, I think the game might be over, but he's playing a game right now. No, it's live. He's it's and live. Is, yeah, and Alabama's public, up forty-one forty on South Carolina. 
there's public there's public knowledge that this guy brought a murder weapon to a murder and he, he's playing basketball. I, I'm all you for... You want to know what's crazy? This That guy, Brandon Miller, has 25 points right now. He's 9 for 14 from the field. He's put 25 Brandon points. Miller, it, Brandon Miller, this is the one reason why I don't, I don't, I don't like bad. I don't like doing this. I don't even like talking about it because the kid, he's a kid, one. He's a child. He's 18 years old, probably. And he has the... He has such a bright future ahead of him that he could be the nicest kid in the world, and he made a really dumb mistake. But that dumb mistake took a life from another person, because if he just if he gets a text that says bring the gun to the to the function, and he says nah, I'll uh, I'm not gonna do that. I'll call you an Uber. You just get out of there. Everything is different. His teammate is still playing basketball and is not going to be on death row. His other, he potentially is losing millions of dollars because he is a lottery pick in the NBA, and that might be flushed down the toilet depending on how things shake out. And it's just so sad that I mean, little decisions like this in life uh, can change like that and make everything so different. And it's just sad to see that somebody's life had to be taken for just dumb decisions. And uh, I'm, I'm just confused on how it is. I know Alex in the chat is a lawyer and actually he's up on stage. If, if he wants to talk about it, I would love to hear what he has to say about it. Yeah. I, I would like to call Mr. Alex Barr to the stand uh, to, to testify real quick on, on some of the legal perspective here with the Brandon Miller, Alabama st- yeah, first off, anything said in this conversation is not legal advice. You cannot sue me for malpractice afterwards. Uh, okay, that being said, uh, so I'm currently digging through the Alabama code uh, regarding criminal activity. Uh, to me, it feels like it's probably criminal neg- negligent homicide, which is defined as commits the crime of criminally negligent homicide if he or she causes death of another person by criminal negligence. Uh there's some case law that suggests that hang on. Um, okay. Essentially leaving your gun somewhere that someone can take it in a place that, you know, is not safe could be considered criminally negligent because you have the, you should be taking care of your, you know, weapons like that. However, the Alabama gun laws say that you can carry a gun without a permit um, as long as you're over the age of 18 and you do not have to have a permit, background check, or safety training, which makes it seem like, you know, you can have a gun and we're not going to tell you that you can't keep it in the backseat of your car underneath a pile of clothes, which is what his lawyer said uh, happened. But what I don't understand is how the gun got from under the clothes to the guy who shot the woman. That makes absolutely no sense. Uh, but I am extremely shocked that he was not charged with some sort of criminal act in this. Um, nothing nothing surprises me anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's Alabama. You know, if you're going to tell everybody that they have to have guns, they're going to come shoot you too. So, uh, that's probably why, but I'm absolutely shocked that he was not surprised or not charged with anything. And he might still be charged with something from whatever, from what I'm, I am more shocked that he's playing that he's playing tonight and that he has 25 points. That's what from I'm what shocked. I'm hearing from what I'm hearing he is completely off. 
Like there is no charges going to this guy at all. And I mean, if yeah. that's if that's what the, the the authorities are saying, so be it. But it's in my opinion, in my personal opinion, there has to be some sort of you know um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, there's some sort. Damn it, I don't even ramifications. Know yeah, ramifications for him making egregious mistake like this. I mean, this, this caught this, he it, like, and the coach, I mean, if we want to talk about something that's insane and absolutely, you know, I, I do, I am a literal mailman that just talks about K-State sports. So I can make jokes and like be weird about stuff and nobody's going to take my opinion seriously at all, but he is the coach of young men in a basketball program. And to say that the guy that literally was the chain reaction to somebody losing their life was in the, at the wrong place at the wrong time is absolutely ridiculous. Like how can how the, that the words wrong place, wrong time, like the people that were around her that were just like having a good time at the club before the shots were fired were at the, were the people that were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Him bringing the gun to a murder is not the wrong place at the wrong time. That is, he is an accomplice. That is literally what I think of when somebody calls me to bring a murder weapon to a murder. That is an accomplice. What he is helping the murderer kill a person. I, I want to agree with Alex and say that he definitely, I, I'm surprised that he wasn't charged. But you have to remember that a charge doesn't necessarily mean you'll be indicted indicted on it. Um, I, I was going to ask Alex on this, though. It would be tough um, from, from a standpoint, and you're going to have to um, make it look like he has the mens rea and the mea culpa for, us, for this. So you think that that has a lot to do with them not charging? Possibly. Um, and depending on what the text messages say, because we haven't seen them, they might just be unable to prove it. And there's a chance that it went to a grand jury. The grand jury decided that there wasn't enough to charge him with anything and it got dropped. Uh, I mean, that's a very high possibility. Um, you know, oftentimes when you have a grand jury, what you're looking for is to get the hardest sentence that you can get against him so that you can just put it down and not have to go to court. Um, but I have a feeling that they might have gone in a little too high uh, with their charge. And that's what, led them to, to not having anything. I was actually just looking up to see what Alabama's um, accomplice statutes say, but I am not seeing them, which is interesting. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to say that he had the Mendrea to, to go there and give a gun. who was, that was eventually going to kill somebody. And that's probably why he hasn't been charged with anything, but there should be at least an accomplice charge. Um, I still think he's criminally negligent in a homicide. Uh, there's an Alabama uh, appellate court ruling that says that gross negligence is doing a lawful act in an improper manner. Um, so, I mean, the lawful act is carrying a gun. The un- improper manner is not securing it to your body or allowing another individual to gain control of it. So, I mean, Rutledge versus the state of Alabama seems to say that this could have arisen to that standard. Wow. This has been incredible. <laughs> it does. It, it does. It, put I it mean, there's a it. lot involved. 
but it does put it into perspective that we have been pretty fortunate as K-State fans that, you know, knock on wood, there has never been, we don't see these types of things. Um, you know, the worst thing is a Dylan's receipt, you know, or a Dillard's receipt, whatever. Um, you know, so it does, it puts things into perspective that we are fortunate that we do have programs that are run by, by really great individuals and, and university that, you know, supports students in that way. So absolutely puts things in perspective. Absolutely. And I mean, to kind of tack on to just other crazy shit going up in college basketball, you've got the situation at New Mexico state too, which I feel like in a way we could maybe draw a correlation back to Greg Marshall and Chris Jans and some of the crazy shit that those two guys have done because they're not exactly the most reputable people either. But Greg Heyer, who was at Wichita State under that same Greg Marshall regime, and then Chris Jans took him over to New Mexico State, and he was then hired after Chris Jans took the Mississippi State job. You've got a situation at New Mexico State where they have suspended and shut down their entire basketball season because of some hazing allegations on, I think, three players that ganged up on one player. And they literally, like, some of the some of the details here are really insane, but let's just say that there was some sexual abuse happening on the New Mexico State basketball team, and this was shortly after there was a scuffle that involved a murder at some point last year when they made a road trip to University of New Mexico in Albuquerque. So to, to Matt's point, I mean, shit, we've got it. We've got it pretty damn good, at least so far. So good. Some Dillard's receipts is really some of the worst we've had to deal with. And then if you want to go back even further, some allegations that were made against L Roberson that were then proven false, you know, at, later on after the Fiesta Bowl or before the Fiesta Bowl in, in 2003 against Ohio State, you know, we've got it pretty damn good. I, I am not going to complain about about what we have, knowing that there's much more shitty situations that a lot of other programs are in right now. And and it has been crazy that a lot of it's kind of come to a head this season specifically. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, we run a clean, tight ship program. And it's it's good to see, you know, we always kind of, K-State kind of always gets that vibe that we're like, we're all about the kids that do the right thing. And I, and I'd much rather have it that way than, you know, living in uh, accusations every year or, um, you know, knuckleheads doing something that they're not supposed to. And it, it's, it just takes a little bit off of um, something to, something to think about during the season that, I mean, just, just keeping it within the lines is so much better. It's, it's, that's the way it should be. Agreed. Agreed. And and Alex is saying in the chat here that the accomplice statutes say that he should have been charged. So it'll be interesting to see how this one plays out. Um, I didn't really expect guys talking ball to turn into guys talking law tonight, but I, I think it's been kind of a, a fun and, and different type of discussion than what we're used to having. I'm, I, I guess before we close things out, since we're we're pretty close on time here, anybody else have any final thoughts, whether it's, you know, Alabama, New Mexico State, just you know, nefarious activities happening in programs anywhere before we close things out tonight. I've said my piece and, you know, I, uh, I didn't want to bring the the whole mood down, but I mean, that one was eating at me for probably about a week now. 
And it really came to a head when the coach said what he said. You know, it's just it's so insane the world we're living in. And to have college sports kind of be infiltrated. And I know a lot of people fall uh, for these, you know, that's a that's a topic that you throw around and, you know, gun control and all this stuff. And I don't want it to get to that point. But, you know, the world we're living in to have college sports, which is kind of where you want to get away from all that stuff have it infiltrated into the sport for a team, an Alabama team, which is fun to watch. And I would, I would want to root for Alabama because, you know, I got a lot of family in Alabama and all that stuff, but just to see stuff like this and infiltrate our sports makes it suck so much more and having to talk about real life issues instead of, you know, hypotheticals about who was the Mount Rushmore K state we're talking about people losing their lives it sucks i i think it's important though it's important to be able to have a a a forum for us to have discourse on this kind of stuff and and i do want to make one more real quick shout out i think michigan state that that was a really terrible situation that happened there with the active shooter on campus last week but but i want to say let me just look it up real quick michigan state came out with a big win last night uh, winning 80 to 65 against Indiana in the first sporting event that was held on campus since the active shooter situation. So awesome to see that for, for the Spartans, you know, Izzo Izzo in March is pretty inevitable most years. So it'll be interesting to see if they have a deep run, but um, I, I think as far as cocaine Willie tonight is concerned, we're going to go ahead and put a bookmark in everything and, and move on uh, to next week. And, and for all of us here at cocaine Willie, to everybody in the live room who contributed tonight, you know, we had a we had an actual lawyer come on stage and, and tell us a little bit about what some of the legal ramifications might be. Granted, none of that is actual legal advice and should not be followed, whatever the disclaimer was that he gave. But either way, thank you. Uh, and thank you to everybody else who contributed. Give Cocaine Willie a follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to be notified of new episodes as they drop and leave us a review with your feedback. If you're on Twitter, follow the show at Cocaine Willie or follow us individually. I am at Bob Trollsby. Chef is at Chef Andre Napier. And Fireball Matt is at Matt Marchesini. And again, to reiterate, we will be live next Tuesday, as opposed to next Wednesday, uh, to allow room for the Oklahoma game uh, that will be played at Bramlage Coliseum. Chef. Not at Bramlage, but cocaine's a hell of a drug, baby. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It's a Bramlage. No, we're going to Oklahoma State. No, oh, no, I'm oh, talking no. about next Wednesday. I'm talking about next Wednesday. Oh, fuck. <laughs> You're good. Cocaine You're good. is a hell of a drug. <laughs> we are all coke and no joke. Wildcat country. Let's ride. Let's ride. Let's ride. God, I'm so stupid. Stupid, stupid, <laughs> stupid. All the Oklahoma schools are the uh, same, though. Oklahoma sucks. <laughs>